Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We bring in Connor Hughes from NFL Insider from SNY. Covers both the Giants and the Jets. Hey, Connor, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Um... Let's start off. We'll start off with the Giants just because um, I, I seem to have some Giants fans who were worried that you were just a Jets insider. Um, so, <laughs> um, so for uh, a lack of favoritism there, we're going to start with the Giants for a second, then we'll get to the Jets. So on the Giants, I, I don't know. For Daniel Jones, he goes eight of nine, and the only um, incompletion was a drop. Could it have gone any better? Uh, leads a touchdown drive for the Giants, and they don't get hurt. Uh, could it have gone any better for Brian Dable with the Giants' starting offense and what he wanted to see? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, and I think that what was most impressive was just that this is everything we've seen from Daniel Jones throughout training camp. I mean, he really has looked so much different than the quarterback last year who was somebody that, that we were all talking about. I mean, Tyrod Taylor. I mean, that, that was the storyline of Giants <laughs> camp last year. It, was, it wasn't if, it was when Tyrod Taylor was going to take over as the starter. And then the way that Jones played and, and earned that contract he got this offseason, it took a lot by surprise. But this summer, it's been the complete 180. He looks like somebody uh, who, who earned that contract. He looks like someone who is justifiably paid what he is paid and what he's making this year, a franchise quarterback on a franchise quarterback salary, but still doing it in practice, doing it with a red jersey, doing it in joint practices, that's not the same as doing it in a game. So for him to go out there, uh, look so calm, cool, and collected, just so comfortable in, in Brian Dable's offense for a second year in a row, play with all those new toys like Campbell, like Waller, and just take the Giants down the field, 10 plays, 75 yards, capped with that touchdown pass to Daniel Bellinger. Oh, and by the way, he did it without Saquon Barkley, it just kind of gave Giant fans a glimpse in, into what uh, Daniel's kind of been doing all throughout this summer. Now, what about, we know it's preseason, and we can say, all right, it's the Panthers, and the, you know, Brian Burns wasn't playing, Derek Brown not playing. Um, what do you say to people who are, let's say, Giants fans who really want to get excited and embrace this and think it's for real, but a little nervous that, these are the Panthers, and they played without, you know, yeah, they had starters out there, but played without two of their better players. Uh, look, I, I think any concern I have with the Giants this year, none of it centers around the quarterback. I'm I'm, I'm legitimately not okay. worried at all about Daniel Jones. Now, is he a top-five quarterback? Is he a top-ten quarterback? I don't know. I don't think he's top-five. I think maybe he could potentially crack top-ten, but – He's probably in that 12 to 15 range. But guess what? He's showed last year that, that he is a guy that you can win with. He can mm -hmm. win football games yep. 
for you. And if you surround him with talent like Joe Shane has done this offseason, you should get substantially better play or better statistical play from him. I mean, you saw what he did last year with, with basically nothing uh, mm -hmm. at, in terms of surrounding talent uh, absent Saquon Barkley. Now he's got weapons, and we've seen what he's been able to do with, with competent coaching and, and, above, and you know, playmakers now at his disposal. So that's not my concern with this team. My, my concern with this team, there's some with the offensive line. You know, Evan Neal, I'm, I'm still not completely – um, sold on just yet. Uh, he's one that I probably have a, a few concerns with. And Let, then just let's, let's stop there for a second before we get to depth and some other issues. But Evan Neal, so that is one of the biggest questions for the Giants. If he takes a step forward and is, I don't know, even close to league average, that's just massive for the Giants. What mm -hmm. have you seen? I know he had a concussion and missed some time. But what have you seen when you've been at practices, when you've been at joint practices, and even, you know, yeah, on on uh, Friday um, game tape, what are you seeing from Evan Neal? Yeah, that's the thing is he, he hasn't practiced because he had the concussion, so he's in the protocol. Uh, he just got back from the protocol and actually spent last week with the Jets because I was spent the week prior with the Giants in uh in Detroit for those joint practices. So I haven't seen him in the practice, and I saw him in the game that he played, and I thought it was kind of a uh, maybe underwhelming is a little strong, but I thought it was it was more down than up. There were some highlights, but it wasn't necessarily a great showing. But also, I mean, that was kind of his first time really back out there again. But he is somebody who I think is um, very uh, – you know, he's, he's an important piece to the, the success of this team, obviously. And then in terms of concerns, so overall you've got – Evan, you know, you've got Neil as the question mark at right tackle, and then as much as he may be a, a question mark, it feels like it really falls off from there um, at the tackle position where, I, I don't know, is, is it, who, who's, it, who, right now, who's the swing tackle? Is it Matt Pert? Is it um, some, you know, is it Tyree Phillips? Is it someone who they're going to pick up off of the back of someone else's roster? It would be part, but look, I, I think if, if the Giants are starting to think of a, uh, a world where Evan Neal is not their offensive tackle or if they lose Andrew Thomas and somebody else is over there at left tackle, uh, I think there's probably some bigger concerns that, that they're going to be facing other than who the swing tackle is. Look, offensive linemen are, are hard to come by. You know, so few teams have five good ones. So few teams have three good ones. Uh, the idea of having you know, a great swing tackle that's going to step in and hold the fort down, that's, that's a luxury, and I'm not terribly sure the Giants, uh, the Giants have it right now. All right, so the other, another player, when we talk about the weapons for the Giants, obviously Darren Waller, I mean, just pops off the, the page, and, and how they might use, them, use him, I think, a, a, just a, a sample. Um, safe to say for people who are, about to have their fantasy gra uh, drafts load up on Waller? Uh, yeah, yeah, that that would be one that I would suggest to just <laughs> about everyone. If this guy stays healthy, it's gonna be, he's going to have an absolutely monster year. The big thing is just him staying healthy. I mean, that is the big thing with Waller. It's been a concern. He's missed some time in recent years. Uh, but as long as he's on the field, I mean, the Giants are going to go to him time and time and time again. It wouldn't surprise me to see this guy. Uh, if he plays all 17 games, catch well over 100 balls, 12, 1,300 yards, and, and maybe even double-digit touchdowns, I mean, that's how much the Giants love him and just how good he's looked this summer. And I was re-watching some, um, some of the game, and Jalen Hyatt, um, fun to watch him where early on 
There's a, uh, you know, catch where he stopped for a loss. Then there's a drop, although that was sort of a, a little bit of a tough, um, a tough play, but it's a drop. And he comes back on the next play for the, for the touchdown catch. And it wasn't just that it was a touchdown catch, but when you watch the uh, safety Eric Rowe on it, it just felt like Jalen Hyatt, one, one shrug, and he was just absolutely gone. Is there something, is it the length of his legs, his stride, the way he glides? What is it about Jalen Hyatt? He seems on the football field to be faster than the 40-yard sort of speed that we see. No, he's a gazelle. I mean, he, he reminds me a little bit um, of Robbie Anderson almost early in his tenure with the Jets where he was just a guy that, that knew how to take the top off the defense. He was somebody that when the ball was in the air, he knew how to locate it. He was such a dynamic, dynamic deep threat. Uh, now, the difference between Robbie and, and Jalen is that I think Jalen has a lot more potential to develop into a complete receiver. Uh, I don't necessarily know if he's going to run routes like Justin Jefferson or, or develop into a guy like that, but he is somebody that has legitimate high-end number two option on an offense potential there. Now, he has shown that he's a little bit further along than I think even what the Giants expected. I was talking to some people over in their building uh, a week or so ago, and they said he really spent the gap between minicamp and training camp head in playbook and, and just learning how to be a professional receiver because that's an acclimation period going from college wide out to pro wide out. It's a lot harder than a lot of people realize because, you know, we've seen some success from guys that have come right out and done it, like Justin Jefferson, like Odo Beckham a few years ago, that it's kind of uh, clouded what the norm is. And the norm is that it takes a little bit for these guys to acclimate themselves to the NFL. Jalen's kind of made a little bit of headway there to, to close that gap and, and, and find a way to make himself a, a more productive player early in his career. Now, I don't think necessarily he's going to be a starting guy, but he's certainly going to be more than just somebody that they throw out there for two or three plays to go deep because he is showing he can do a little bit more. And, and the Giants are giving him a lot of opportunities in the preseason to do it. You see him running drags, you see him running in, curls, outs, and then obviously his signature go route is, is what he scored a touchdown on uh, touchdown on a couple of days ago. But, but he's somebody who's really working himself uh, or forcing himself, I should say, into the offensive rotation of guys that need to be on the field. And what kind of role do you expect Paris Campbell to have in the Giants' offense? A big one. A really big one. You know, I'm actually uh, one of one of my guys um, that I'm close with in the league was was involved in scouting and drafting him uh, when he was in Indianapolis. And and after the Giants claimed him, I, I was talking to him about or signed him, I should say. I was talking to to this guy about him, and and he said that the talent is not a concern with Paris. You know, he is a guy that that has inside outside flexibility, can also do a lot of the gadget stuff that offenses love to do now. He's electric, flat, fast. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands. His biggest issue is just that he hasn't been able to stay on the field. But Knockwood, he's been at every practice for the Giants so far. He's played in these preseason games so far. He hasn't had any hiccups or, or setbacks so far with any injuries. So if he's able to stay on the field, I think he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, we talk about big-name signings and big-name acquisitions like Darren Waller and, and other players the team signed. There's always the two or three that fly under the radar. They get one-year deals or two-year deals for not a lot of money. They come on the second or third wave of free agency that no one really talks about and, and when they sign, like at the time of signing, but then they end up making the biggest impact. I think Paris Campbell could be one of those guys that we didn't necessarily talk about in March, April, and May, but come September, October, November, and December, he's going to be a guy you hear his name called time and time and time again. So that leads to, when we're looking at wide receivers for the Giants, as we're getting closer to it, um, 
you know, there there seemed to be a, you know, which is funny compared to last year. It seems to be there's a, a glut of wide receivers this year. Last year there were no weapons. This year there are some talented guys. Who do you expect the Giants to um, keep between, you know, if we're looking at guys like and roles, you know, we know that we we know the uh, you know we know the top guys, but what about you know is is Sterling Shepard safe? Is Cole Beasley safe? Is Wandell Robinson safe? Is Colin Johnson safe? Um, you know, can all of those guys uh, make make the you know Jamison Crowder? Uh, who's who's getting cut? Uh, I think Wandale coming off the pup list and, and returning to practice, I think that'll be a, a big tell because he's he's primarily a slot. Like he's he doesn't have outside flexibility. Uh, I think Sterling is Sterling Shepard's safe just because he can he's better in the slot, but he also has outside versatility. He's also a tremendous tremendous locker room guy, and and everyone in that Giants building absolutely loves him. So I think those two guys are are safe. Uh, then there's the logjam. Colin Johnson, I don't think he's going to make it. I think he's he's probably more of a candidate for the practice squad. Uh, Cole Beasley is somebody I could see as that veteran practice squad addition if he wants that job. Um, you know, again, he, he's a veteran. He's accomplished a lot in the NFL. I don't necessarily know if he wants to, to play that role for that financial compensation. I think he might want to just say, you know what, if I don't make the 53, I'll, I'll probably just go off and, and be retired and things like that. But uh, Jamison Crowder, I, I don't think, will make it. And then it just comes down to a numbers game. Do you have five? Do you have six? I think Giants end up keeping six, but uh, Colin Johnson, no, I don't think he'll make it. And, and Crowder, certainly, and, no. I don't and think then the other name is that uh, is Bryce Four Wheaton is somebody that's floating around. Um, yeah, well, he's playing a lot of special teams. So mm-hmm. he's he's the one where if the Giants keep six, I could see him sneaking on there uh, because he's obviously big bodied, a lot of talent, probably still you know, developing and refining himself as an actual receiver. But the Giants are really working him in on special teams. And usually when you have a guy that is working continually on so many different specials, uh, that's a sign that, that the coaches like him and, and there's a good chance he ends up making the 53-man roster because when you come to come down to those wide receiver fives, those wide receiver sixes, those guys aren't going to be on the field for 30 or 40 offensive snaps. They're going to be on the field for maybe two to five offensive snaps. They need to make their presence felt and be active on game day by what they can do on special teams. Uh, and he's a dude who's been clearly earning the coach's trust on, on those fields. Um, let's switch to defense and for the Giants. I thought it was interesting that Wink Martindale called out Kayvon Thibodeau publicly. Is Wink, from what you can tell, um, a guy who just is coaching, you know, kind of um, communicating with different guys differently and knows that Thibodeau is a guy who will respond to that? No, I, th- I think he's just a guy who doesn't give anyone star treatment. And if he feels like you need to perform better and, and you and he wants more from you, he's going to let you know that he thinks he needs to get more from you. And, and Kayvon's a guy that, uh, if we're being honest, through the majority of training camp, he had been having a very quiet summer. You know, this wasn't a guy that went, look, I've covered a lot, of, a lot of training camps before. I've been covering training camps in 2014. And practice sacks, whether you want to call them sacks or not call them sacks, or offensive linemen say they didn't get home, defensive linemen say they do, they're pretty regular. And, and you have guys like Carl Lawson, I remember a couple of years ago for the Jets, really shining and really coming through. Um, Kayvon is, is a guy that, for the vast majority of this summer, has had a very, very, very quiet training camp. Now, I know I, I split time between Jets and Giants, but when I'm there, he is not somebody who has jumped out as far as like, oh, there's Kayvon in the backfield again. Oh, there's Kayvon tapping the quarterback on the shoulder again. Oh, there's Kayvon. There's Kayvon. There's Kayvon. 
he's been very, very quiet. And, and I think Wink realized that. And, and maybe it was uh, a second-year sophomore mini slump coming out of, of, you know, obviously your first summer as a pro where you don't necessarily have to worry about college and classes and all that. I don't know if that was it. Uh, but it was a slow start to the summer. But if this last game that the Giants played against the Panthers is uh, is any indication, Kayvon got it going because there was a, a three-hole stretch there where it was uh, the, the basically making a tackle despite being triple team, the sack, and then a quarterback hit where, where Kayvon basically took over that series uh, and kept Bryce Young out of the end zone. So if, if this and that conversation was something that sparked him, that's a good thing for the Giants because a lot of what they were able to do up front with a pass rush perspective I know Wink can design some great blitzes, and he does design some great blitzes, but if you have someone who can get there organically, like the Giants believe Kayvon can, uh, that'll go a long way in really taking this defense to another level. One of the things with the Giants um, in recent years was not necessarily getting as much out of, uh, I mean, there were a number of issues, but in order to have depth, you have to get um, something out of some of the, you know, find some players mid to late in the draft, it's way early, so we don't know. But sixth-round draft pick um, looks like Trey Hawkins is going to play a role at cornerback on this team. And then, um, even more surprisingly, seventh-round draft pick, looking at a guy named Jordan Riley. And is is Riley somebody – we think of defensive line as a strength of, of the Giants, but is Riley somebody who's going to get a chance to get out there on the field and, and play some meaningful reps? Uh, we, we might be a little, a little far from that, but he's certainly someone who's developing and, and is maybe like the, the pet project for Wink Martindale and, and this Giants that, that, you know, they're, look, he's, he's making, he, he's, he's turning heads, I think is the best way to describe. You know, what's funny about him is when the Giants drafted Riley, I, I you know, you do, obviously when you get to the sixth, seventh round, right. it, I'm not a, I'm not Dane Brugler. You know what I mean? I'm not Mel <laughs> Kuyper. I, I don't have a, a big board of, of 700 players I can go through. So you go and I look at what Dane has said and what Mel Kuyper said and what Todd McShay has said, and I could not find anything on this guy. So I actually reached out to, to a defensive line coach I'm pretty close with, and I was like, hey, man, like Giants just drafted this guy. I was wondering if you could just give me a general scouting report. I'm just trying to familiarize myself with him. And the guy goes, Connor, I'll be honest with you, I, I probably do more scouting than any defensive line coach in the NFL. I have no idea who this is. <laughs> and so I was like fascinated. Like, like who is this guy? And when Joe Shane talked to us at, at his uh, – end of draft press conference basically what he said was that he was at a pro day this big dude walked by he was like whoa that's a big dude they don't make human beings that big and he just decided to draft him in the seventh round because at that point you know there are lottery tickets in the seventh round eventually you just keep scratching them and if you don't hit okay fine well you'll scratch another one and see if that one does hit and it appears like the Giants. i i don't know if he's going to be this elite level dominant player but it certainly looks like a guy who can play and is worth putting in some time and he certainly turned some heads within that building and, and with some of his strong play in the, in the, uh, in the preseason thus far. But as far as having a role week one or week two or in the regular season, I don't necessarily know, but he's certainly someone to keep an eye on over, over the ensuing years as he gets some more time playing. I mean, I think about, um, Foley Fatukasi with the mm-hmm. Jets. You know, mm-hmm. Obviously that's where, again, I, I referenced the Jets just because for, you know, 2014 through 2020, that's, I was a beat writer there. So I, I'm familiar with a lot of their, a lot more of their stories, but, he was a guy drafted later in the round, you know, was somebody who kind of just, oh, let's see what we got in them. First two years didn't do much and then really developed into a leader on that team and, and their best run stopper for several seasons. And I think Riley might be following a similar path. 
Dr. Crowner Hughes about uh, the NFL. We were talking about the Giants. Let's switch to the Jets and Connor. All right. So it sounds like Aaron Rodgers, the rumor out here is that he is going to play. All right. So he's going to play against the Giants um, in the last preseason game. Uh, Let's start with is Dwayne Brown starting at left tackle in that game? Are they going to have a semblance of is AVT playing? Are they going to have a semblance of a healthy offensive line in front of Aaron Rodgers? Uh, well, Dwayne Brown's still on the pup list, yeah, so I, I would probably be surprised if he was active. I now I, I've heard that that this week is one to watch for him to come off the pup, uh, and that's at least the way it's been trending. Uh, obviously, there can be little setbacks and little changes and stuff like that 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 could that could certainly. Uh, make a change there. So, 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 but it, it was trending in that direction last time I checked in. Um, but I would be surprised if he came off the pup list and then returned to practice and then was out there for the game. But I think you'll probably have some variation of Max Mitchell or Billy Turner at the left tackle spot, Mackay Beckton right tackle. Then we'll see if Lakin and uh, Elijah are healthy enough to get on the field and play. But um, yeah, it, it's it's surprising to me. Now I got wind of it. Last night that Rodgers was going to play, and, and this is probably because Aaron wants to play. You know, he said earlier in camp that he wants to get out there and, and the Jets are going to do whatever Aaron Rodgers wants. And if he wants to play, that's exactly what's going to happen. But I would just be a little concerned with that if I was the if I was the Jets just because, look, you're going against the Giants. You don't know if the Giants are going to be playing their starters. Uh, if the Giants aren't playing their starters, they're going to be playing a lot of guys that are fighting for jobs, guys yeah. wanting to make statements, guys wanting to pop up on film because if they're not going to have a job with the Giants, well, they're going to want a job somewhere else. And what better way to do that than come speeding around the edge and sacking Aaron Rodgers and forcing a fumble. So uh, that always makes me a little weary when, when it's not starter versus starter and you potentially have second and third string guys in there against the ones. But uh, I would imagine it's no more than a series or two that Rodgers, you know, basically get your feet wet and then get the heck out of there and get ready for the Bills. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is if you were the coaching staff, I we all know this is Aaron Rodgers. It's his decision, and this is not um, Robert Sala saying, you know, yes, we want you to do this. This is Aaron Rodgers saying this is what he wants to do, and they're saying yes. If they don't have that fully healthy offensive line, you have a 40-year-old quarterback and the season relies on him, would you be, um, step if it were you to make the call, would you be saying, hey, Aaron, I totally understand it, but, um, you know, maybe we should wait? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't play him. If it was up to me, I wouldn't yeah. play him in the preseason. That's just me. But, I mean, look, if Aaron wants to play, then, then Aaron's going to play. But if it was up to me, I wouldn't play him. Yeah. No, that's, that's... Or I would have played him last week. But and honestly, I, I do genuinely believe that uh, if the Jets' line was in a little bit better position yeah. than what they are right now, I think he probably does play uh, last night against the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Or yep. Yeah, it's still 10. So it's uh, last night against the Buccaneers. Um, but with that line so beat up. I mean, I don't think they wanted Joe Tittman at guard protecting Aaron Rodgers and Wes Schweitzer at the other guard spot protecting Aaron Rodgers. So uh, this is probably the only opportunity to get it because you're hoping ABT and Lakin and them get healthy and, and back on the field there. So uh, at least there's a semblance of the wall that's going to be protecting him on September 11th uh, out there in front of him against the Giants. So I um, last week I was a guest um, with uh, some Jets pod folks and was asked about Makai Becton. And what it seemed to me is it seems obvious is and maybe it's trending this way, but doesn't don't the Jets have to do everything possible to have Makai Becton be a starting tackle for them if they want to reach where they want to go? Don't they need this guy? Well, that's the funny thing is is that it was very obvious and very clear uh, when OTA's minicamp and training camp began 
that the, uh, the the Jets' plan was not to have Mekhi Becton as their starting offensive tackle. It was going to be Dwayne Brown at left tackle, and then it was going to be Billy Turner and Max Mitchell on right tackle. Uh, Carter Warren was going to be in the mix as well, but but probably redshirting this year. So you're going to have either Max or Billy at right tackle, and the other one was going to be the swing tackle. And uh, Mekhi, honestly, I, I was under the impression from, from talking to some people over there that he was going to be on the trade block, and he was going to be moved uh, before the start of the regular season, the Jets were going to showcase him in the preseason. He was going to play well in the preseason, and then they were going to move him. But there has been immense, immense struggles from Billy Turner and Max Mitchell to the point where the Jets have to put Mekhi Becton out there and, and give Mekhi Becton a lot of credit because he's remained dedicated, he's remained focused, he's remained healthy, he's crossed uh, he, or he's checked off every box that the Jets have wanted him to check. And now because these other two guys are struggling, while the Jets may be preferred to go to those other two, they are now going to give Mekhi Becton a shot to play, and, and it's the right move because, you know, obviously there are durability concerns with Mekhi Becton. There's always going to be when it's a guy that big with that injury injury history. Uh, there were some performance concerns with him even before he got hurt the last couple of years, uh, but I can tell you that there's no doubt in my mind that even if Mekhi Becton is not an elite-level player, he's still going to be better than Max Mitchell and Billy Turner. And for a Jets team that has Super Bowl aspirations, the biggest way or the fastest way, I should say, to derail those is with breakdowns up front. And there have been an awful lot of breakdowns up front in training camp to this point. And you hope the return of Dwayne Brown off the pup list soon and then Mekhi Becton's insertion to the right tackle spot uh, can solidify that group to let Aaron Rodgers cook a little bit. What did, what did you think of the signing of Dalvin Cook and where, you know, from what you're observing, um, where is Brees Hall? Um, what kind of role do you see between the two players? Um, I was surprised just because I don't think the Jets necessarily needed him. But mm-hmm. when you're a team with Super Bowl aspirations, why the hell not, right? I mean, that, that money's not yours. That money's not mine. That money's Woody Johnson's. And if Woody Johnson's willing to spend it on a player, uh, to just add him to their roster, a, a surplus of talent, another good player, as Robert Sala has said, why the heck not? Go out and get him. Go out and add him. Put him out there. Let him play and, and have another running back out there and another playmaker for this offense to hopefully help the Jets win some games and, and get to their eventual goal. But uh, the one thing that's been stressed to me over and over and over again and, and has been stressed to, to Dalvin Cook as well is that this is Brees Hall's team. This offense will run through Brees Hall on the ground. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, but when it comes to the ground game, it is Brees Hall's show. That was the case before Dalvin Cook. That's the case after Dalvin Cook. This was just an opportunity the Jets saw to go out there and add another player. They made him an offer that they believed was very team-friendly, one that certainly protects him Mm -hmm. uh, if, if Cook misses any time due to injury or with suspension. Uh, but for them, this is just another player to add to their repertoire to, to hopefully help them get to uh, to Vegas in a, in a few months here. Last one before I let you go. When I look at this Jets defense, which I think was terrific last year as a chance to be special this year, what roles do the defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich play versus head coach Robert Sala in terms of the leadership in that defense? Yeah, it's it's Jeff. It's, it's 100% Jeff. You know, when Robert Sala took over, he was um, – very adamant that he wanted to be the CEO type. He wanted to oversee the operation. So he was going to have, at the time, Mike LaFleur was going to be the offensive coordinator. Jeff Ulbrich was going to be the defensive coordinator. and Robert was going to bounce between offensive defense. And he would help where it needed to be, but he was going to be the manager of the operation. And he hired people that he knew could run uh, the different departments of his show. So uh, the, the defensive success, the defensive prowess, I mean, it, 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 Jeff Ulbrich deserves a lot of credit for it. 
Uh, and if the Jets have another year like they did last year, it would not surprise me at all to see him get some head coaching interviews. All right, and I cheated. One last thing on Sala is that um, in terms of the relationship between Robert Sala and Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, we've seen, you know, whether it's people on my station or others calling it out and questioning with Sala. um, What do you see, you know, in terms of his leadership and how you lead a and keep happy your your star player? Well, I think he got him here. I know Nathaniel Hackett played a role, but this was Aaron Rodgers. If if Aaron Rodgers didn't believe in uh, Robert Sala, if Aaron Rodgers didn't believe in the direction that he has this franchise going, if he didn't believe in the culture that he's helped build and, and the way that he's changed the overall stigma and feeling around this team, then Aaron Rodgers is probably playing in Las Vegas with his BFF, Devontae Adams, right? I mean, he had other options. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers here. He didn't have to come to the Jets, so... Uh, I've heard a lot of that. I've seen a lot of that. I will say that, that the Jets, you know, they have they have a lot of say in what goes on hard knocks and what doesn't go on hard knocks. And I'm sure that Robert Sala MFing uh, left, right, and sideways is not something that he wanted portrayed or that the Jets wanted portrayed. Uh, but trust me when I tell you, he's he's a heck of a leader, and he's somebody that has uh, demanded and commands the respect of every single person in that building. So I've heard some of the criticisms. I've just chuckled at him. I guess because I'm there, you know, most every day, and and see the way that he works and the way that he operates. Uh, but yeah, that that notion's kind of ridiculous. You know, it, it, Aaron Rodgers is is the quarterback, and the Jets are obviously conforming a lot to him. But Robert Sala is still the head coach of this team. Yep. All right, uh, Connor Hughes, NFL insider for SNY, covers both our local teams, Jets and Giants. Connor, appreciate the time. And sounds like you, and there's some very cute baby noises occasionally in the background. Yep, um, yeah. She's <laughs> sleeping on me, and every now and then she keeps cooing to wake up. I'm like, oh, please stay sleeping, because my wife's sleeping as well. So she took, my wife's taking the, uh, the the quick hour power nap before the uh, the next baby feeding, so I'm on baby watch, and I'm like, oh, please be quiet. Please don't cry. Please don't cry. She's been pretty good so far. Appreciate the time. Get some sleep, all of you. Thanks so Thank much. You. All I right. appreciate you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.